All right, is that working good? Oh, there we go. All right. I love the church. I love our church. And I'm praying that by the end of today that you will uh, just feel a deeper love for the church and a greater willingness to say yes to, uh, to the church family. I'm getting, can you turn this one down? I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm talking right on myself there. And if need, I'll just use the uh, cordless mic that uh, Felipe was using if you want to just hand me that. All right, the scripture that is going to anchor our time today comes out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians 4, we're going to be in verse 1. And so if you're able, please stand to on the reading of God's word. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Come, Lord Jesus. We need you this morning. We know that you're here. We know that your spirit lives amongst us. So help us to have our eyes open to you, to have our ears open to you. Come, Lord Jesus, we give you just the, the issues and the difficulties of our lives. We put them into your hands. We confess to you our sins. I just encourage us now, just take a moment and just be honest with Jesus and say, I am sorry, and just whatever that is for. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you love us, even when we don't deserve it. Thank you that you restore us every time we come to you with our apologies. God, help us to receive that restoration right now through your word, through your spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Help us to hear your voice, that we would lock into you today, that we would sit and listen to our good Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Get rid of casualness. Get rid of apathy. God, we don't want to just go through the motions, Lord Jesus. We want to experience you right now. We need you. You are better than food. You are more important than drink. Come, Lord Jesus. We can't live life without you. Come and speak. Come and speak. We are listening. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, as I get into this teaching, I want to give props to pastors Tim Keller, Jude Tiersma-Watson, and uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu, who have influenced a lot of the teachings for today. We are in a series on identity, specifically our identity as New Life Community Church, our church. Who are we? And sort of where are we going? What is absolutely core to us 
as a church family. Our first core value is Jesus. You heard Dave kind of break that down last week. We love Jesus. We are a Jesus-centered church. We are about him. We want to thrive in a real relationship with Jesus. He's the source of everything right in this world, and he has given himself to us, and so we want to take it and make it our foundation as our leader, our savior. And today we're going to move into our second core value of three core values. Our second core value is a deep love and commitment to the church. We are a people growing in a covenant love for the spiritual family that Jesus has called us to. The scripture in Ephesians is written to the church in Ephesus. Now this was, this was sort of one of the big dog churches in the ancient first generation of churches. This is the church that the apostle John uh, that wrote the gospel of John. He was an elder in this church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a part of this church. So I want you to hear the words again written to this church. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And then how do we live worthy of the calling? Be humble and gentle with the brothers and sisters in your church family. I'm paraphrasing. Be patient with each other in the church, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. That's some rich language right there. In Christian circles, we, we talk about being called a lot, don't we? You'll often hear people talk about that. Well, God, well, God's called me to do this. Or, hey, what's God's call on your life? And most of the time, we're always using that term or thinking of that concept in purely individual ways. So my call usually refers something to sort of like my individual career, uh, my purpose, my living location, kind of where I'm going to impact the world or the city right now. Yet the text here and most of the New Testament teaching on call is always referring to either the call of God on your life to stay loyal to Jesus or the call to be loyal and commit to the church family. The call of God. So when, when we hear the scripture say, be worthy of your calling... It's, therefore, love the church family in this, in this instance of Ephesians. Be worthy of the calling that God has put on your life that you have received from the cross of Jesus. Commit to the church family. So if we let the entire Bible guide and be the authority of our lives, then we're going to actually minimize the intensity that we think our individual pursuits are about the call of God, and we're going to maximize the intensity of our devotion to the spiritual family is how we live out the call of God in our lives. I am a recovering individualist. I heard this phrase a few weeks ago, and I immediately owned it. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I am in recovery as an individual. I'm a recovering individualist. Now, as a white male American, I am probably as extreme as they come in this diverse world in my recovery as an individualist. Can I get an amen for that? I'm a recovering individualist, and the ramifications of that in my life are a lot. To live worthy of the call has always been a growth edge for me and continues to be a growth edge. And while I'm on sort of the extreme end of the individualistic spectrum... If you have grown up in America, this is a part of the water you have grown up in. And so everyone on some degree struggles with sacrificing the individual for the community. 
I mean, clearly there are cultures and families, many are in this room, that are much more communal-based than other cultures and families. And there's sort of this spectrum, because you can have an extreme dysfunction in communal worldview as well as an extreme dysfunction on the individual worldview. So there are some cultures or family where they've gone too far on the communal, and certain individuals are not honored based on their gender or their birth order or their socioeconomic status. So as we proceed, you can do the work of think about where does your family culture fit in that spectrum? Because um, I think when you look at the scripture, the Lord is trying to bring us to the middle where every individual is honored. And there is a purpose for your individual life, but there is a great commitment to the communal and, and a willingness to live your life for the community. So you can kind of figure out, I, I know where I'm at. I come from this extreme end of, of dysfunction on the individual where we think, oh, the community, well, that's everybody can deal with that on their own. It's not my responsibility. I'm doing my thing, right? That's the problem with individualism. Uh, but if you have spent any significant time of your life in America, the concept that the call of God on your life is to make every effort to be united with the church family in the spirit that is going to be very challenging. What I'm trying to say is, it doesn't matter where you come from, this word today is going to be hard to hear. It's going to be hard to hear because what these few verses right here are basically saying is, you can't just leave your church because you're not happy. You can't just, you know, I, you know what, I don't like some of the people here, I'm gone. Uh, or, you know what, I'm not feeling it, or I, I'm a little too different, I'm gone. And for, see, for Jesus to call us to submit our individual feelings and our opinions in order to bless and strengthen the uni unity in the family, that is about as hard as it gets for modern-day Americans. This teaching is going to be difficult today. I'm contending against very strong principalities and powers that have wedged a deep worldview in our brain that Jesus wants to free us from for our good. The scripture says... Be worthy of your calling. Make every effort to keep yourselves united, you all. He's talking to the church, not just general humanity, which that's another part of the scripture. But he's talking, keep, make every effort to keep your church family united in the spirit. You all, every person, not just the pastor or the leaders, everybody. If you love Jesus, you love his church. If you want to say yes to Jesus, you say yes to his church. If you're not with the right... So let's get back and hear three images that were given. We're going to back up in Ephesians. I want you to hear these three images were given that's supposed to describe our relationship with each other right here in this church family. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 and 22 says, So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the cornerstone is Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Did you catch these three images that are given to us to describe what our relationship with each other in this room is from God's perspective? Okay, first, once you give your life to Jesus, you are now citizens of a new country with God as your righteous king. So now your identity as the citizen of a nation whether it is America or Mexico or China, now that is submitted as a secondary citizenship to being a citizen of heaven. Okay, That means practically 
that the Constitution of the United States does not have more authority than the Bible. It means that America is not the greatest nation in the world. That does not exist. All national identity is submitted under the citizenship of heaven if you follow Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, well then, yeah, you're going to try to find an identity on anything. And it could be your country that you live in. And boy, I tell you, it doesn't get any, any better than being a citizen in heaven. Can I get an amen for that one right there? But then it goes deeper. You are also a member of God's family, it says. It says Jesus has died on a cross to adopt you into his family, which means you now have new brothers and sisters and cousins, and yes, you still have crazy uncles and aunts. I mean, that's just... It's a sinful world. It's not going to go away when you enter into church family. Can I get an amen for that? You're not supposed to be, you know, you just focus on you right here, right? That's right, baby. But here's the beautiful part of this crazy new family that you're in is that God is good and generous as a father. And he always will help the crazy people of the family figure out how to work it out. He doesn't play favorites. He's not unjust. But then it goes even deeper. So we're citizen of a nation, a new nation. We are in the same family together. But it says you're, we, we are so close, we're so connected in Jesus that we are one building. We are a holy temple where the God who created and sustains the universe, he has his power dwelling in that structure. Right? So it means we're so close together, it's as if we're cemented together. We are fused together as one. And God is not sitting in some throne room like in Washington, D.C. or whatever. He's not even in his own bedroom. God is as close as it's possible. He exists. His spirit is in us as we are fused together in love. Right? Not, if you want to be rocked by Jesus, you can have something with him. And, but if you pursue the unity of the family, that's when the spirit of God will come in massive power. See, being a Christian is not an individual-only spirituality, even though he honors and develops every one of his unique kids. Ephesians tells us that one of the primary calls on our lives as followers of Jesus is to honor our true citizenship, love our spiritual family, and then do our part to hold the temple together. That is primary. That is before whatever hobby that you feel God's calling you into, whatever your own individual ministry is, it's our, that's the primary scriptural call to be in the family, to be the citizen of the nation and be the one temple. So the question that I, we have to ask ourselves is, does any of these three images describe what your relationship to New Life Community Church is right now? Right? Are, can you say, I am acting as a full-fledged family member? I am all in. Or is it, if, can you not? And if not, it's like, hey, just hear the word and receive it with grace. God is inviting you to jump in because when you finally jump in, that is where you're going to find your true identity, your true security, and your true foundation for, for all the unique parts of who you are. It's actually not running away from church and trying to do my thing. It's pressing into the family more that then in that family is where I find what my thing is. We've got to help each other switch the thinking. You know, Josiah has been in Maryland now since, uh, what was it, September, early September, right? And uh, 
See, my son, he was raised differently than me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? I mean, he was raised in this concept. I mean, he was raised in a family that was like, we, we will never commit to anything that's regular on Sundays. We're always a part of a small community. We're always with church on mission. And, and it's, as I'm watching him become an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, he is so much healthier than what I was when I was 18 years old. He's got this in him. I didn't, I'm a recovering individualist. It's taken me years. And I, you know, I'm always having to work on this. So he goes to Maryland all by himself. I, I mean, and he's, and, you know, he's very vulnerable in that first, you know, weeks or so. He's just, he's trying to establish himself. Um, and, you know, I've mentioned to some of you, the college he's at, about 4,000 kids, it's mostly all white, like over 80%. That's very high for a college. And it's all East Coast white. So, y'all, just, just like how Mexican-Americans are different where you go, white people aren't the same, okay? White people from the East Coast are different from white people from the South, from white people on the West Coast, right? So, I mean, it's just... And then what he's realized, he's realized being around all this white East Coast people, how tricultural he is. He feels so out of place there. He realized, he's like, we talked about it, he's like, yeah, Dad, you're white, I got some white in me, but I saw you, I hung out with the white side of the family like once a year, because none of my family lives here in California. He goes, I grew up, you know, with the Chinese American side of my family being most present, and then I grew up in East L.A. from baby. I mean, going to school, all of his friends are East L.A., right? And he's realizing, I feel more Latino than I do feel white as I'm around white people, right? <laughs> he's like, he's got this weird, he's just, he's just like, this is crazy. And so uh, he's having a hard time connecting the first couple of weeks. And then he, he you know, he, he's walking across campus and he, in the quad area, the open area, he hears about students, about five, a group of five students speaking Spanish. He goes, Dad, I just ran to them. I jumped in, and I start talking, right? And, and it's, he said it was so funny because it was a student from Brazil, a student from Puerto Rico, from Mexico, and then two American-born Mexicans. And they're just chopping it up in Spanish, and he jumps right in. And he goes, they were just, like, confused. Like, who are you that you're fluent in Spanish? And then they're trying to figure out his accent. See, when, if you've been around Josiah when he's really chopping it up in Spanish, his accent is totally weird. Because his, the foundation of his Spanish was learned when we spent that year in um, Guerrero, in Mexico. So he's got that in him. But then he, uh, he's, he, we would go to the Dominican Republic every year for his growing up years, and he would talk a lot. And if you've been in the Dominican, their Spanish accent is way different. But then he's also fused together, like, the East L.A. accent, baby. Los Doyers, you know what I'm saying? I can't even say it very well. But it's just this weird mix that Spanish speakers are like, man, what, where are you from? I've never heard that accent, right? But he said, Dad, I started to feel at home as I went talking in Spanish. But then a week later, he found the Christian community. And, and it's got some diversity. But he said, all the folks, they love Jesus. And we're going after Jesus together. And he said, that's when I started to feel at home. In fact, one of his new Christian friends uh, is African-American, and he's from Maryland. So Josiah has been going to church with him every Sunday, which it's a, it's a black church. And he said that even, he said, like, even though it's a culturally different expression, he's never uh, been in black church, he says, Dad, I just feel like I'm home. I'm in this new place, but on Sundays I'm home. When we gather, he said the second service, he finds himself on his knees in the prayer ministry time, crying out to God, and people on the prayer team are praying over him. He's like, I'm home, right? This is my family, right? Uh, 
He's a citizen of, in that church, right? He's fused in that temple, in that place. And see, what I'm seeing is like, that's right, he's choosing to be worthy of the calling. So, like, instead of like, I'm in a new place, so let me just kind of be in my room reading my Bible and just figure out my call, my call, my call. He's like, no, let me find the family of God to commit to, and from that place, in a new place, I will find security, identity, this is my calling, and then from there, I will now find, God, what do you want for my life in this place? That's the process. And it's, it's not just when we move to a new location, but if you ever, God ever has you move, find the church family right away. Find that first, but it's in every location. It's right now. Change the mindset. Where do I need to press into church family to figure out the individual? Not, let me figure out the individual, and then I'll come back to the church family when that's all figured out. As an aside, uh, as he's been going to this new church, he's also told me, he goes, hey, Dad, you need to step up your preaching, man. Okay, you need to bring some more fire. I'm like, listen, man, we're all the same family but different gifts. I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I am who I am. Yeah, why is this man? There's truth right there. That's what I'm talking about. Keep the pastor humble. That's what I like, baby. Why is this mandatory? Why, why do I have to spend time week in and week out with people who are different than me? Why do I have to try and love and care and serve people who are in a different generation, different hobbies, different ethnic views on the world, different political views on the world? Why, Jesus? Let me give you just two reasons. First, because only in the church of Jesus are we able to walk in family-like relationships with people who are deeply different. When people who are very different come together around Jesus, there is a common humility that unites them. The common humility is that we are all sinners. We all need the forgiveness of Jesus to be able to live. It's the cross of Jesus, his death to forgive our sins, to take the rightful punishment that we deserve. That's the only thing that can unite us. We're all humbled at the cross. Amen? None of us can earn God's favor with right living because none of us can live right enough all the time. We are a people who have realized that unity with God happens when we receive his love day after day after day we can't earn it we just keep receiving it there are religious posers in the church religious posers one that they think that they're they're earning god's love that they're righteous and so then they 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 don't have that humility when they come amongst people who are very different in a different place on the journey with god but those who understand and are in relationship with with the authentic jesus know that no in any relationship, whoever it is, no matter how many differences, with humility as the common foundation, we are going to be able to build unity over time. If you try to build relationship with people outside of Jesus, then the differences become the foundation. There's comparison. There's competition. There's insecurities. There's pride. Those nasty things keep messing it up. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen when the Christians get together. But I'm saying if we are in the scripture and in the spirit of God, we are identifying those problems. We're bringing them to the surface and we're getting through them to get to a deeper place of humility and vulnerability that will guide our new unity. Amen. We commit to the church family so that we can learn and maintain deep relationships with people who are very different than us through the humility of the cross so that we can take this new kind of relating into the world to help the world overcome the great hostility of sin that keeps us divided. 
Now, this doesn't mean that if you're a Chinese American and you're in a life group of all Latinos, that you just ignore who you are or pretend to be Latino, right? Differences are always seen. They're always acknowledged. They're always lived in, right? Because there's so much of the differences that are of the image of God. But it's just that all the differences are surrendered to the cross of Jesus so that those differences are carried and interacted with much differently than they are in communities outside of Jesus. In the end, if you will just give relationships a chance in the church family, a chance to really express themselves, you will find that you develop an eternally deeper bond with people who are very different from you. That you can be with people who are the same as you in so many categories, but because there's not Jesus, you start to realize over time there's something that I have with this person is very different. If you, those have been with our family church retreat, that's a moment many of us have experienced that where we're in these random small groups, and it starts out, we come into it with our instincts. It's the way the world does it. We're just kind of like, who, are, who am I? Who are you? There's comparison. There's insecurity. There's some pride. There's like a, you know. And then by the end of the weekend, as we've all prayed together, as we've all confessed sin together, as we've all realized, dang, right? We, we're in this together with Jesus. Our love, and then there's this depth that happens just in the course of a weekend that's actually offered to us week in and week out. The second reason it's mandatory to commit to the church family in God's, in God's heart and to live worthy of the call is because the only way that you can overcome the sin in your life that keeps you in dysfunction, in addiction, in anger, in dysfunctional relationships the only thing that can keep you from that sin of just running on that hamster wheel, doing the same life over and over again, is through deep relationships in the church of Jesus. Listen to this scripture from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. It's another word specifically to a church family. It's y'all. It says, you all exhort one another. Exhort is a strong word. It can mean like counsel, confront. Exhort one another daily so that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what does that tell us? That sin is deceitful. See, we often think about sin as the big sins, the obvious sins, right? Oh, addicted to drugs or violence or sex or money, right? But then there's all these subtle ways that we are sinful, ways that we cannot see on our own. It's, it's hidden from us. Sin is deceitful. It's, it's hidden from us so that we won't deal with it, so it can thrive in us. The worst, have you ever thought about this? The worst of us is probably hidden from us. And it only takes close family for us to be able to see it. And this is why blood family can be so difficult at times. Listen to this word, church. Because we live in close proximity to each other. And day after day, you can't fake it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You see the broken hard wirings. You see the deeper and more subtle selfishness. You see the hypocrisy. You see the ways in which we totally deceive ourselves, right? We, we get into a problem, and we think it's all someone else's fault. But the people that live with us every day, they're like, no, bro, no. Okay, you can blame everybody you want, but it's you. See, blood family is very close and consistent, so they can see the deceitfulness of sin in everybody else, in the family. But here's the problem. Blood family, they don't know how to deal with that subtle sin in a way that actually transforms people out of the sin. 
In fact, blood family usually reacts to that deeper kind of subtle sin and those hard wirings in really horrible ways. My family, I can testify to that. I'm sure you all can in your family. It creates the arguments, the fights, the resentments, the, the manipulation, right? The, the, the silent treatments, the, the judgments, the, right? All of these things. And I think a lot of us, we're, we try to get any kind of space we can from certain members of the blood family because we feel like we're always being seen by them through our sin. Like they just see us as these sinful people. They lock into something that's probably true, but then they blow it up, and that's all they see in us. Am I speaking it? Can you relate to me? I'm talking about my family here. Okay, here we go. But in the church family, we don't ignore the sin. If we really get close to each other like blood family, it will come out. Our selfishness will come out. Our little anger will come out. Our difference of opinions. and We'll have that. But then the scripture and the, our Father in heaven helps us deal with that with love and grace and patience. And we will look at each other. We'll be like, you know, I walked with some people in this church for many years. I know their sin. You know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at, you know, some of you here. And you know my sin, right? Some of you really know my struggles because you've walked with me. But this is the beauty about the grace of Jesus. When I look at you and I sit down with you, I don't obsess over your sin. I see all of the things I've learned that's so good about you because the love of Jesus has guided our friendship. And I'm so grateful that you see me and you see, oh yeah, you got some sin, Pastor, but you've got this good stuff. And that, that's the difference in the spiritual family. And then we can, we can both walk together into our sin because we're like, we're doing this to help Jesus transform us and get it out of our lives. That's the difference. So you see how this all fits? When you give your life to Jesus, you're saying yes to him leading your life. He then wants to lead your life out of sin into wholeness, into joy, into transformation, but he cannot do that if you're an individual who sits in your room just saying your prayers to him, although that's a big piece of it, right? But if that's it, because your sin, my sin, at the core of our brokenness, the major blocks to becoming who he created us to be, to becoming the people we dream of becoming, they're all entangled in the ways we relate to people. You're, you realize if, if each of us were stuck on our own island, we would sin a lot less. You know what I'm saying? It's just the reality of like, it's all entangled in how to relate to people. So your competition, your comparison, your pride, your shame, your anxieties, your misplaced morality, your fears and insecurities, that deception of sin in your heart, it's all tied in how you're relating to people. So the only way to follow Jesus into healing and wholeness is to commit to the people of Jesus, to the church he's called you to, to learning how to rewire your instincts and your reactions, to not compete or compare, or not to feel pride or shame, to learn how to receive the love and affirmation of Jesus, how to form deep relationships with people who are deeply different, that are based on mutual love and encouragement, that build bridges into each other's heart, and tear down the walls that sin wants to put up. Therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. You know, there's a traditional identity statement from Western culture, which is mostly that white, European, American culture, and it's always been, I think, therefore, I am. Sort of Descartes, it's a philosopher who said it. It's kind of like, well, if my brain's working, that's my identity, because all I need is myself. That's the individual identity statement. But then there's an African identity statement. It's from the Ubuntu philosophy, and it says, I am because you are. I am because we are. You know, there's, have you seen sequoia trees? They're these massive trees. You can see them up in Northern California. The fires are going after. I mean, they are massive. And you assume, these trees lasted hundreds and hundreds of years, and you assume with all the rain and the winds that they must have roots that just go down 100 feet to anchor them. But what they, and that's, what, that's how we think of it. Every time we think, oh, I got to fix this in my life, I gotta change this about myself. It's all about what can I do, I do, I do. But when they have looked at the root structure of the sequoia trees, what they realize, the roots are actually very shallow, but they grow and they entangle themselves with the other sequoia trees. So when that wind comes, they can't fall down because all the other trees are holding them up. That's the gospel. That's the family of God that he's inviting us into if we would just have the courage to put our lives in somebody else's lives, right? can't be best friends with everybody in the church family but you can have that small group that you say we're not going to miss time together we're going to go deep together we're going to be family together worship uh, team come on up so as we worship God I want you to ask him to change the instincts and the hard wiring so that when you have those moments and you feel like I'm bored, and I need to change it up in my life. To realize that that feeling of boredom, that's God opening up your soul to come to him through pressing into the church family, not just on your own. So he's saying, be more intentional with the time and the people in the church, and then that boredom will go away. When you feel that feeling like, I need to get better, I got to deal with this personality problem I have, that's Jesus Open up that hunger in your soul to change, through pressing into more and consistent and deeper relationships in the church family. When you feel my marriage is not well, my relationship with children are not well, I'm struggling in being single, I need to figure out the purpose in my life, I need to change my job, when you feel those feelings, all the way to like, I need to exercise more. Everything that you feel, ask God to change and say, how can I first press into people and say, will you help me exercise more? Can we do that together? Will you help me with the struggles, right, of my marriage? Will you help me with trying to figure out the Can I put my life and my needs into your hands? We want to ask the Lord to just help us resist the addiction to just think I've got to handle it. If you haven't been convinced... You've lived, of everything I've said, just think about this. All of us have probably been in a situation where things are not going well in life. We are not obeying Jesus. We are starting to drift back to the old way of living. We're not in a good place with God. And what does that deceitfulness of sin, what does it do? 
let me not go to church. <laughs> let me pull away until I figure this out. That's sin talking because it knows if you pull away, oh, then I got you. Now we're going to go even worse into that spiral. And the scripture and the family would say, in any sort of feeling of I've got to change, I press into the family. And then you will find the strength. You will find the wisdom. You will find the clarity because you'll be living worthy of the call of God on your life. Let's, uh, let's stand together. Every pain, every struggle, every discontentment. You're never too busy to live worthy of the call of your life. If God has called you, then he will make a way in your schedule. You're never too busy. I want to ask in the spirit of our word today, um, some of our leaders to come up and be ready to pray for folks. Maybe this is the word that the Lord will finally unlock to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to put this issue into the hands of my church family and say, would you take me to Jesus? I I'm, I'm tired of just doing this on my own. Maybe it's not just somebody who's standing up here. Maybe there's somebody in this church that as we worship, you're just going to go over and say, would you pray with me right now? Or, just, or even may want to say in this moment, this is a sacred moment, maybe it's somebody who's going to say, hey, I love you. I love you. Your family to me. I'm in with you. Sometimes we got to tell people that. We got to tell people, I, I, I'm committed to you. I want to be your friend. I want to walk with you. We can't assume that everybody just knows, right? Lord Jesus, come. Come and speak as we worship your great name, as we come into your presence, as we hear you just pulling at the pain and the suffering of our soul, give us the courage to obey. Oh, Lord Jesus, give us tender hearts for each other. Come, Lord Jesus, and let love just keep rising up in this place. I thank you, Jesus, for the gift of New Life Community Church. I thank you, Jesus, for the people in this room. I thank you, Jesus, for the ways that my life is just richer and deeper because of them. I thank you, Jesus, that you've given us each other. We worship you, God, for that gift. Oh, help us not to take it for granted. Help us to just press in more. Come, Lord Jesus. Come.